Well, I want to share with you something the Lord has laid on my heart as my last sermon to you for a while. And uh, I think I've got some great material for this. If you look up on the board, it says the topic is the book of books. Anybody know which book that is? Golly, you got it. <laughs> Amen, yes, it's this book. It's this one and only book. And I want to share with you this morning some of the wonders of this book. And I want to share some of the promises and some of the characteristics of your Bible this morning. For those who love God's Word, the Bible, it's hard to imagine that there are those who don't believe in it. It's hard to imagine there are those who disrespect it, who disregard it. There are those who say the Bible, they believe the Bible to be the Word of God, but they never pick it up. That's something we talked about at men's breakfast yesterday, Saturday. Was Saturday yesterday? I guess so. <laughs> Boy, how quickly time flies. <laughs> they never pick it up to read what the author of the Bible has to say to us. It's one thing to say that you're a skeptic and a critic of the Bible and, that you don't, and that's why you don't read it. It's something else when you call yourself a believer and never open up its pages and indulge in its rich blessings. And that could be said for most Christians. I've read the statistics. They're not pretty. To disrespect God's word by the unbeliever is understandable in the light of the fact that they have a strong bias against the supernatural. They have no faith in the God of the Bible. They have no faith in divine revelation, and they put no stock or faith in Jesus. But let's take a look at this book and see how wrong-headed we are if we don't read it, don't pick it up, don't study it, and don't meditate upon it, and if we just pass it off because we don't believe God did this. What's the this? 2 Peter 1.21, the Bible says, for the prophecy, this book, came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy, God, by the Holy Ghost. Here's the shorthand on that. God wrote a book. You believe that? God wrote a book. God wrote this book. No, not in English. I'm going to share the different languages in a little while. But you've got it in English right here. Every word of this book can be trusted for you. It was never given in order to anyone to plan the Bible. Nobody sent out. No king sent out. Some, uh, somebody said, uh, uh, gather a group of men together and let them put a, put a Bible together. No group of men got together to write the Bible. It gradually developed over centuries, and it's one of the great mysteries as to how that happened. It was written on two continents in countries hundreds of miles apart, it was written over 1,600 years. One man wrote one part of it in Syria. Another wrote part of it in Arabia. A third man wrote another portion in Italy and Greece. Its 40 writers wrote in a wide variety of settings. There were 40 people who wrote the Bible. In the desert, they wrote in the wilderness. They wrote it in caves. It was written in prison on islands, on riverbanks, tents, palaces, and cities. And those people were from every level of political and social life. A king upon his throne, a shepherd, a fisherman, a petty politician, princes, priests, prophets, poets, physicians, men of every grade and class are represented in this book of books. Did you know that? 
Maybe somebody thought that there was one person who wrote it. I heard somebody say, Shakespeare wrote it. Uh, I never heard him say that. But you don't account for the 40 men that did over 1,600 years in all those various places. This is not just a book. Every part of the Bible fits every other part of the Bible until we hold in our hands not many books, but one book, the monarch of all book, God's book, the one he wrote, the Bible. Doesn't contradict itself. There are no errors in it. There are no places where you can't put your trust in it. Well, I don't understand it. Fine, keep digging. I can't understand when I read the Bible. Well, keep reading the Bible, see what happens. When you went to school, did you understand every textbook? I don't think so. But what I do know is you kept digging until you, until you got to understand it. And that's how it works in the Bible. You got to keep digging until you understand and take it slow. Consider the impact of the Bible on people's lives. For example, good men and women have been made better people by its promises and its truths. Unsaved men and women have been changed completely overnight by reading the plan of salvation and promise of new life contained in the gospel. There are so many testaments just to these two things. How people's lives have been improved by the Bible, how the culture has been improved by the Bible, how literacy improved by the fact that the Bible was written. So many amazing things that came out of this book. Countless people in crisis have been saved from suicide and harm by reading its truth in a motel room. I've heard so many testimonies from the Gideons whom we support and love to support and have had them here to share how many people they have who were in a motel room ready to kill themselves. And they opened that drawer and they found a Bible. And they opened that Bible and they found a verse that touched them in such a way that they realized what they were doing was wrong. And they found in the back of that Gideon Bible a way in which they could know Jesus as their Savior. He has saved so many people from desperation. And desperate people do desperate things. And these are desperate times. And this book can encourage you when you go through such a time as that. Hang on to it. When I was a kid, I don't even know if my mother knows this. I used to sleep with the Bible under my head because I wanted to be sure I was getting as much of it as I could. <laughs> I don't think it worked that way. The Bible elevates whole societies while it's in, where it's introduced. As Bibles are translated into previously undocumented languages, native tribes become literate for the first time, lifting them from darkness to enlightenment. Do you realize how many of our missionaries are out translating the Bible into tribes who have never had a written language? And what a big impact that's making in those cultures, that people can actually start to read and see the world open up to them. For the most part, that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not such a good thing. All the wrong done in any community in the name of Jesus is done by those who don't obey God's word. All the things we hear about people who have done things in Jesus' name and we scratch our head because we say, how could you decide you were going to kill that person? You were doing it for God because Jesus told you? 
Find the verse in the Bible where Jesus told you to kill somebody. What he basically told his disciples was when they got aggravated with the people at their time and Peter picks up a sword and lops off a God's head, uh, lops off the man's ear, Jesus said, put that ear, I'm going to put that ear back, make it whole, but you put that sword down. He said, if my followers were about that, they'd pick up swords and start a revolution, but they're not about that. We're not about that. We leave vengeance to the Lord. And, we sh and the only sword we pick up is a sword of faith, this book and prayer. So let's go and see what the Bible says about itself. So turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 19 or up here on PowerPoint. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Psalm chapter 19, we're going to read verses 7 through 11. Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statue of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Thank you. you. May be seated. So there are seven characteristics that I've found in this text, and five blessings. So let me share the seven characteristics and the five blessings. Characteristic number one, God's word, verse 7 says, is perfect. And that means it's complete, it's without error or contradiction, it's unchanging and unchangeable. When something is perfect... It doesn't need to be changed, right? If it's perfect, it doesn't need to be changed. And in fact, it's unchangeable. How could you add to perfection? Well, none of us is perfect, so we can be changed. Jesus is perfect, so he can't be changed. And the Word is perfect, so it can't be changed and should never be attempted. And yet, there are over 300 different versions of the Bible today. Over 300 different translations of the Bible today. For me, I'm sticking with this until I'm called home to be with the Lord. Amen. Characteristic number two, verse seven says, God's word is sure. That means it's trustworthy. The word sure is firm, solid, certain, steadfast. No fake news here. If you want a source of information you can believe in, the Bible is your source, and it doesn't poll people to find out what's the truth. It is the truth. Characteristic number three, verse eight, God's word is right, and that means straight, upright, fair, and impartial. It shows us who we are. If you ever really want to look into the, the mirror and see who you are, look into the Bible. It'll show you who you are. When I look into this Bible and I think of myself, I don't see a very pretty picture. When I hold myself up to the standards of Scripture and I hold my life up to the life of Jesus, I realize just how far I've got to go. I don't compare myself to you, and I hope you don't compare yourself to me because we're not a good measuring stick. You compare yourself to Jesus and God's Word, and you'll see just how close and just how far you are from pleasing God with your life. Characteristic number three, verse eight, I think we're doing that now, that it's just and partial and fair. 
No other sacred book in the world condemns man and all his works. It does not praise his wisdom, his reason, or any progress he's made. Rather, it presents him as a sinner, causing the honest seeker to cry out to God, God, forgive me and be merciful to me, a sinner. One of the things that God's trying to do through the Bible is to have you be honest about yourself. Have me be honest with myself and realize that Jesus came to make us better people. He came to save us. He came to encourage us. Characteristic number four, verse eight. God's word is pure. It's beloved, it's clean, it's clear, it's clarifying, it's enlightening, and it's not hard to understand. How hard is it to understand something like this? Love your neighbor. Is that hard to understand? How about love one another? Is that hard to understand? Sin not, steal not. When you steal, steal no more. We have no place to hide. Clean up your mind. Clean up your heart. Clean up your life. Change your thinking. Repent. Be saved. These are, these are some of the messages found in the Bible, and they're very clear for God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten, his only born son, his only begotten son, that whosoever, that's you or me, shall believe in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Most of those words are one syllable. Most of the words in the Bible are one syllable. I know it gets hard to, when you're starting to read the whole verse or a whole series of verses, it's kind of hard to keep up with, but slow down and study and meditate and pray, and God will show you the way it is. The best advice I ever got came from a Jewish rabbi who had become a believer in Jesus. And he said to me, I know you don't understand, but you just read and believe. Read and believe. In other words, believe that this is God's word and trust it, and it'll be revealed to you. Over time, that came to be the case. Ver characteristic number five, verse nine. God's word is clean, uncontaminated by man's wisdom, his prejudices, undefiled by outside forces. When you read something, when you read a novel, you should always ask yourself, who's writing this? Where are they coming from? So many commentaries you can go to this, these days to understand God's word better, but the thing you need to do before you open up that commentary is ask, where is this person who is explaining the Bible to you? Where is he coming from? Is he coming from a place where he really doesn't believe the Bible? He thinks it's just another manuscript like any other book? Or does he really believe that God wrote this book and God protected this book and preserved this book and that it's without error? Or is this a person who's going to start tearing the Bible apart and you won't even know it? So many people read the book of, uh, oh, come on, it was a very famous book uh, taking place in the Vatican, Say it again. The Da Vinci Code. So many people read the Da Vinci Code and thought it was just a great story. And it was a great story. But meanwhile, that great story was tearing down that Jesus was God's son. In fact, one of the protagonists in the, in the book says, everything you've ever been taught about Jesus is wrong. And people consumed that because 99% of the book was a great mystery, a great adventure story, whatever you want to call it but it had all of these untruths in it. You want a book with the truth? No hidden agenda. It's clear what God's word is about. 
Psalm 119, verse 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. You've heard settled science. Woe to those who monkey with the Bible, who add to it, take from it, change it to fit the times, because the Bible is not politically correct. And you can't make it that way. And as hard as you may try, you're going to fall flat on your face when you do that. There's a warning against changing the Bible or removing words from it. The Bible says that that warning only leads people to destruction. Characteristic number six, verse nine, God's word is true. It's established. In God's book, he documents his truth. In his nature, he knows nothing but the truth. Do you realize the Bible says in Hebrews 16 that God is not a man that he could lie? Well, we're not sure about the advice we get from time to time. We're not sure about what we're seeing on television that calls itself news. We're not sure that what we're hearing is the truth. But again, and I say it over and over again, if you want the truth about the situation of our times, about people of our times, about what motivates the things we see going on in our streets today, you're going to have to go into the Bible and it will be there, unvarnished truth. It may hurt. But some things, that, speaking of being hurt, I think tomorrow I'll find out what that's all about. <laughs> but some things may hurt for a while, but they're really good for you in the final analysis. There may be some truths that uh, don't ring true in God's economy. You can believe what God says. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that his promises, assessments, prophecies, warnings, and principles are true. Characteristic number seven, verse 10, God's word is sweeter than honey. Psalm 34, eight, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. And those who receive Christ as Savior have dug into the word daily, have found the old hymn to be true, that it gets sweeter as the years go by. That your relationship with Jesus Christ, as it grows, it gets sweeter. There's gonna come a day, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ at this point, there's going to come a day when you're going to, if you do it, when you're going to look back and say, why didn't I do it sooner? Amen? I know a lot of Christians who have told me that over the years. I should have given myself to Jesus when I was young. I wasted so much time, and I made so many mistakes I could have avoided if I had come to Jesus sooner. Five blessings that come from God's Word. Blessing number one from verse 7. It'll make you wise. Now there's, I know there's people who are called wise guys, but I'm not talking about that. People who are wise. Now there's wise wisdom that comes from earthly, from people, from philosophy, from various places like that. That's one kind of wisdom. But there's a wisdom that cannot be replaced or traded. It's the wisdom that comes from God's word because the wisdom that comes from God's word comes from God. Wisdom are the things you know that you can apply to your life that help you in decision-making. Wisdom helps you to do the kinds of things that God would have you to do. Teaches you how to love people in a way you need to love people. It teaches you what God's grace is all about, what God's mercy is all about. You can understand your surroundings when you have God's wisdom. You can look at the events going on and the news and be able to give them a context. You'll be able to look around the people in your life and see those who are helping you in your faith walk and those who are hurting you in your faith walk. You get a kind of wisdom, a kind of discernment that doesn't come from any other place but God's Word. 
And the sooner you get to know that, the better your life is going to be. I know that because I've been at it for over, well, how many years is that? <laughs> that many years. <laughs> Blessing, verse number two, verse eight. It will bring joy into your heart regardless of your circumstance. If you're down and out, I can't suggest any more strongly than you go to the book of Psalms. I think when you go to the book of Psalms and you find out that the things that David and the other writers are writing about are experiencing you're going through. He was betrayed by people. You go through that at some point in your life. His life was threatened. Now, your life may not be threatened the way that David's life was, but your life may be threatened by sickness. He got discouraged. He got disappointed. He got fearful. He got lonely. He felt the whole world was against him for a period of time. He didn't know where to hide. He lived with fear. All of those emotions, all of those experiences. People say, well, I don't think God is interested in these small matters in my life. He is. The Bible says he counts the number of hairs on your head. I mean, you can't get any more minutiae than that. In some cases, it's a matter of subtraction and other things. You can't get any more close to God than you get to know the mind of God and the heart of God than going into the Bible. And when you open up that book of Psalms, when you're going through an emotional turmoil, when you feel that you cannot take another breath or another step and you're not going to be able to make it, God will give you words of encouragement so that you have enough to get through today. Amen? Enough to get through today. And frankly, that's really all you need. You just need enough to get maybe hour by hour. When I was a chaplain at Hagedorn Psychiatric Hospital, I would just try to give these patients enough to get through today and maybe enough just to get through the next few minutes. Because a lot of them were that close to losing control. Just enough to hang on to. Just enough not to give up. The worst thing a Christian can ever do is to quit. And give up on the Lord and walk away. Now, I believe in my heart of hearts that just because the Christian said that doesn't mean that they've lost their salvation. The Lord is hanging out there waiting for them to come back to him. And he'll do everything he can to win them back. But having said that, when you give up, you give up a lot and you don't even realize it. When David decided that he could live footloose and fancy free, this is the same David I'm talking about who wrote so many of the Psalms, when he thought he could get away with that, he began to realize something. He no longer had that intimate relationship with God. Prayer didn't work for him anymore. That feeling that God was watching over him, it, it wasn't there anymore. That joy he had as he thought about how much God loved him and how much God cared for him, and he, he would write songs about it, turn them into what we call psalms. He, he lost that impetus. He no longer had that sense of improvisation he no longer had that creativity because he lost something when he turned away from God. He lost the joy of his salvation. He lost the sense of God's nearness. Don't walk away from God. Blessing number three from verse eight. It will, the Bible will enlighten your understanding. It'll tell you about human nature, world events, the future. We went through that whole book of Revelation together, and so many people commented, and we had a lot of people listening in on the many times when we were not able to do it in church, but we had so many people listening into the book of Revelation, 
and telling me, I never saw that before. I never realized that. Oh, I, I didn't know that, that, that this is in the Bible, the way it's going to look in the future. And we had so much specificity, just like going back to the book of Revelation right now. So many people are beginning to see things in the book of Revelation they never saw before. That's the beauty of God's word. I've been studying it a long time, and every time I open this book up, I find new stuff. I say, how did I miss that? I only went over it 20 or 30 times. But how did I miss it? Because you can't get to the bottom of this book. Blessing number four, verse 11. It will warn you, the Bible will warn you of life's dangers, temptations, and teach you how to avoid the devil's wily ways. There's a lot of places in this life where you, where you will have a footfall, a place where God knows that you'll be tripped up. He knows where the chink in your armor is. He knows where your weakness is. And he'll warn you about it. As you read the Bible, all of a sudden that thing will come out like a, like a flashlight. Say, yeah, that's a place where I can get hurt. And God will tell you how to deal with that. And finally, blessing number five, verse 11, it will reward your obedience and faithfulness by studying and reading its word. I've often said that books inform, but God's word transforms. Other books inform. You can get a lot of knowledge and a lot of information about books from books, but there's only one book that can transform your life, and that's a Bible, transforming book. Romans 12, 2 says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. Sometimes we need a readjustment in our thinking. Sometimes we need to see things from a different perspective. And when you get into God's word, you get that. Here's a closing story that I've probably read a long time ago here. It's called the Bounty's Bible. The English ship Bounty, commanded by Lieutenant William Bly, journeyed to the South Pacific in 1787 to collect plants of the breadfruit tree. Sailors signed up gladly, considering the voyage a trip of paradise. Having no second-in-command, Captain Bly appointed his young friend, Fletcher Christian, to the post. The bounty stayed in Tahiti six months, and the sailors, led by happy-go-lucky Fletcher Christian, enjoyed paradise in the fullest. When time came for departure, some of the men wanted to stay behind with their island girls. Three men tried to, do, to desert and were flogged. The mood on the ship darkened, and on April 28, 1789, Fletcher Christian staged the most famous mutiny in history. Bly and his supporters were set adrift in an overloaded lifeboat, which they miraculously navigated 3,700 miles to Timor. The mutineers aboard the bounty immediately began quarreling about what to do next. Christian returned to Tahiti, where he left some of the mutineers, kidnapped some women, took some slaves, traveled with the remaining crew a thousand miles to the uninhabited Pitcairn Island. There, the little group quickly unraveled. They distilled whiskey from a native plant. Drunkenness and fighting marked their colony. Disease and murder eventually took the lives of all the men except for one, Alexander Smith, who found himself the only man on the island surrounded by an assortment of women and children. Then an amazing change occurred. Smith found the, body, the bounty's neglected Bible. As he read it, he took its message to heart, then began instructing the little community. 
He taught the colonists the scriptures and helped them to obey its instructions. The message of Christ so transformed their lives that 20 years later, in 1808, when the ship Topaz landed on the island, it found a happy society of Christians living in prosperity, peace, free from crime, disease, murder, and mutiny. Years later, the Bible fell into the hands of a visiting whaler who brought it to America, but in 1950, it was returned to the island, and it now resides on display in the church at Pitcairn as a monument to its transforming message. The way the men and men of that island and the families of that island were transformed, your life can be transformed. If you know Jesus Christ, God's still working on you. And he's going to keep working on you. Hang on. And if you're not saved this morning and you don't know Jesus is your Savior or you're standing on a fence kind of balancing in the air, there's hope this morning for you to receive Christ as Savior. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because you have received the word of God, which you heard of us. You received it not as the word of men, but as in truth the word of God, which effectually, that word means continues to work also in you that believe. Another way to say, don't give up. Another way to say, if you don't believe this book and you don't believe its author, today would be a good day to tune your heart Tune your heart to God to hear his voice. Let's pray. And so this morning, Father, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for its truths, its principles, its precepts, its warnings, its prophecies, and all the things that are contained therein. And this morning, I pray, Lord, that as we've shared your word, that it's gone to the hearts of those who need it most. And that would be those who are hurting today, and those who need your healing touch, and those who need your salvation. And I pray this morning, Father, with heads, eyes, and bows closed, and I know there are people listening in and people watching in outside the walls of this building. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior this morning, you need to acknowledge that you have sinned, that you've done things that you know were wrong and you know couldn't possibly please the Lord, and you want to ask him this morning for your forgiveness. And all you have to say is, Lord, I beg you to forgive me for my sins and I beg you to help me to live my life as a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I believe he came to this world. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he was in the ground for three days and I believe he rose again and this morning I want to claim him as my God. And if you've done that, please tell somebody you know is a Christian so they can pray with you. Thank you, Lord, for our time together in the Word. We pray that we will continue to lift you up, sing your blessings, and glorify you by our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.